praise the Lord. Well, I want to talk with you today about change. And ultimately, we're going to talk about um, 10 steps to change. You know, we've had Dr. Cole's quotations on change. Um, you know, the, the number one is that um, the only constant in the life is change. You know, and uh, <clears throat> as a melancholy, that's a tough one because I like the norm. I show up at the end of the day five minutes late and Pastor Becky says, what's wrong? What happened? You know, because probably our food is on the table and it's getting cold. No, it's not that bad. But it, but it is, you know, because I'm, I'm really boring because I am so predictable. And uh, that's, that's just how I am. But the only constant, the change is a constant. So even for us melancholies, things continue to change. And so that's why we have to adapt to flexibility because there's always going to be changes taking place around us. You know, and Dr. Cole also said change is not change until you change. Yeah. You know, and so there's changes that are constantly taking place around us and we need to recognize it and realize that there's, there's adjustment. But you know, the thing that <clears throat> about change is what God wants to do is he wants to bring about change in each of our lives. And the way that that change takes place is it's from the inside. It works its way to the outside. You know, oftentimes what we try to do is we try to, in our own strength and our ability, we, we try to uh, cope with, we try to adapt to change. But you know, that's not really how God wants to work it in our lives. He wants it to begin on the inside of us. And then it, it, what it does is it begins to work towards the outside. It works out of us. And so, change. And so anytime we don't want change, um, we're going to have struggle because there's always going to be change. And, uh, and especially, there needs to be change in our relationship with God and relationship with His Word. Because there always needs to be growth. You know, remember Sandy Brown making this statement years and years back, and she says, you know, if you haven't, if you haven't grown today in the things of God, you're backslid. Because every day, there ought to be a step forward. We ought to be moving forward. But for most of us, oftentimes what it is, is it's two steps forward and one back. But you know, the key is that we want to keep moving forward. We want to keep allowing the things of God to grow and mature in our life. Because he's the one that's going to bring change in our lives. And so oftentimes what we try to do is we try to adapt to the culture. And the way that we do that is by conforming to the culture, whatever that culture may be. But what we need to do is get the word of God deep on the inside of us and allow it to, to move us and change us. You know, <clears throat> I think oftentimes change is so difficult but you know, really the way that God intended for it to be, it was to be simple. It was to allow him to bring it into our lives and then we allow that to work in our life. You know, there's a you know, term that's used, menophorphous, that word. And uh, you know, um, when we, our first church that we pastored, when we named it, we named it uh, New Life Fellowship up in... Uh, Wapaka, Wisconsin. And wasn't that right? Yeah. And uh, New Life, and so our insignia or whatever, you know, we were real uh, original with it. You know, but we, we had a, a butterfly that was being transformed. You know, and that's how God wants to work in our life. He wants to take place, you know, <clears throat> in... Uh, 
the church that I grew up in, we confessed that we were a bunch of poor, miserable worms. Well, you know what? I was a worm. But because of Jesus Christ, there's something that took place in my life. And I'm no longer that caterpillar. I'm no longer that worm. God made us into something beautiful, and that's for each and every one of us. And that's what he wants to do in our lives. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Romans, the 12th chapter. We're all familiar with verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to read it, though, out of the, the Amplified, and it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God, and, take, and make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service in spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewing of your mind, by its new ideas and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. You see, it's through the renewing of our minds that we come to understand that perfect idea that God has for each and every one of us. Change, as I said, is not to be difficult. The Bible says that God can do all things. In Philippians 4.13, says I can, Paul is speaking here and he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So where does that true change come about? It comes about as we allow him to strengthen us. As we allow him to work in our lives, to produce, to bring about that change that he wants to work in our lives. As we Really what it boils down to is as we dedicate our lives unto him. As we say, here I am, Lord. Use me. You know, I had a friend of mine preaching church up in Wapaka one time. And he taught on being a living sacrifice. And he says, you know, the problem with the living sacrifice is they keep crawling off the altar. Well, we're a living sacrifice. But we need to make the determination, the decision that I'm going to stay on the altar. That I'm going to allow Jesus to be in, in constant control of my life. That I'm going to allow him to dominate and, and direct my path wherever that path may lead me. You know, in Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, the 19th verse, you're all familiar with it. And it says, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may prosper. Do you notice that the choices that, are, that we make are generational? They aren't just choices that, I, that we make for ourselves, but it's generational. It's for those that, that follow after us. And so we need to choose right. We need to make that determination that I'm going to follow after him. In Mark, the fourth chapter, again, this is a portion of scripture you're all familiar with. It's talking about uh, Jesus. He shares the parable and gives the definition of the seed and sower. And so we're going we're gonna to begin in Mark the fourth chapter, the third verse, but once again, I want to read it out of the Amplified, and so it'll be up on the board so you can see it if you don't, aren't reading the Amplified. And it says, give attention to this. 
Now this, this is Jesus speaking. Now I appreciate the Apostle Paul, don't you? You know, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I appreciate Peter and his epistles. But let me tell you something. When Jesus speaks, we need to listen. Amen. And so here it says, Jesus is saying, he says, give attention to this. Now, so, th so this is very significant. And I think oftentimes we read across some of these passages, you know, this is one of the things that we're looking at on Wednesday night. That we're, when we're looking into a passage to uh, uh, dissect that passage and find out who's speaking and who's he speaking to and what is he speaking about and, and, and the, the significance of that so that we truly study the Word of God so that we understand the Word of God so that we get it deep down on the inside of us so that it can truly produce change in our life. <clears throat> Do you know to be aware of something won't necessarily change you? But when you take something and you make it a part of who you are, it begins to change you. And it changes you from the inside. And so Jesus here is saying... Give attention to this. Behold, a sower went out and sowed. And as he sowed, as he, as, as he was sowing, some seed fell among the path, along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Other seed of the same kind. Notice it's a seed of the same kind. It's not a seed of a different kind. It's a seed of the same kind. The reason that that's so significant is what we see in this parable is we see these different soils and, and I don't know about you, I, I think oftentimes people look at it and, and think that, well, it's, it's a, no, it's the word of God. That's the seed. We're going to see that as we get to the definition. And so it's the same seed. The seed doesn't change. That's so why on a Sunday morning there can be seed of the Word of God scattered. And some will receive it and some of them, some people won't. But it's still the seed. It's the same seed. But it's how we receive it because we are the Word. We, we are the soil that that seed is sown into. And what we do with that seed determines whether or not we're going to be living the victorious life or not. You know, I remember back in the late 70s, here in Jefferson, Iowa, Pastor Becky and I, we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we were, we were part of just a we were part of a larger group of people that had come out of the denominations or were in the denominations and had received Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and, been, and were born again. But you know what? The majority of those people that got born again during that charismatic renewal, most of them wandered back into the world. You know, I look at the Bensons sitting in the front row here, a whole crew, a crowd of Benson, Bensons. But my mom and dad were a part of that. And they received, they, they were already saved, but they got involved in the, the fullness of the Spirit. And, and here we have Two generations sitting here with us. It was a generational decision that they made to move on with the things of God. And that's how it is in our life. It's not just hearing a nice message and, whoa, that was really nice. That was really good. I mean, that was challenging. And then we forget about it. We move on. Does it produce change in our life? Is the soil prepared? 
Why is it so important that we, we understand the Word of God so that we can get it on the inside of us and it'll produce change in our life? But it's not just for me. It's for those that are coming after me. So it's the same seed, the same kind, fallen ground full of rocks, where it, did not, <clears throat> uh, where it had not much soil. And at once it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And when the sun came up, it was scorched because it had not taken root, it withered away. You've all heard my marvelous story about when I was in high school and I worked for this farmer and he had this 80 acres that grew rocks. And so every spring, I had to go out there with a flatbed and haul off load after load of rocks. You'd think, how in the world can this happen? Well, we know how it happens. But it just seemed like foolishness to me. But see, he understood this principle where the natural seed was concerned. That if you don't get away, get rid of those rocks, that seed is not going to take root. It's not going to get depth of soil. And when the heat shows up and the sun begins to scorch it, it may still produce, but it's not going to produce as it should produce, as it's capable of producing. And so what did he have me do? For hours, picking up rocks, because he wanted a harvest. We need to get the rocks out of our life. Because those rocks will hinder our harvest. It'll keep us from producing as we ought. And then in verse 7 it says, Other seed of the same kind. Notice, not a different kind. The same kind, the same seed. You can have a farmer and he can go out and he can, he can plant the best possible seed that is proper for the climate, for everything. He can get the best seed there is and he can, he can plant it. But let me tell you something, if he doesn't prepare the ground, it's not going to produce. If he doesn't take care of the soil, it's not going to produce. And so, it's the same seed, it's the same kind. But it fell among thorn plants, thorn plants. And the thistles grew and pressed together and utterly choked and suffocated it. And it yielded no grain. You know, this is my farm stories today. I remember, you know, we used to, we didn't have all this fancy spray junk that you have today. We, we didn't have any little tractor dealy job here <coughs> to ride on either. We walked. But, you know, it was interesting. <coughs> you wanted to get those weeds, those cockaburs and so forth out of there because they were going to choke the seed. And I remember there were, there were times where we would be going through the fields and the, the, the weeds would be so thick <clears throat> that we'd literally, and I'm not preaching here, I'm telling you the truth. We would literally get down on our hands and knees because there was so much weed there and we were pulling it out. Why? Because if we didn't, it wasn't going to produce. But yet we allow weeds to grow in our life. And then we wonder why it doesn't produce. It's because we've not prepared the soil. We've not done what is necessary so that we can produce a bountiful harvest. But then look at it in the 8th verse. And it says other seed of the same kind you know, Brother Hagen used to say this. 
You know, people say to me all the time, well, you know, you're anointed. You're anointed. That's why the things happen in your life that happen, because you're anointed. And he says, you know, I may be anointed to preach, but I've got to walk by faith, just like everybody else. And he said, you know, the difference between me and most people you know, because it tells us later on that we've each been given the measure of faith. Back in Romans, rather, not in, in Mark. We've been given, each been given the measure of faith when we were born again. And he says, the difference between me and most of y'all is that I chose to do something with my faith. We need to choose to do something with our faith. And so that our faith can grow and so that our faith can mature and so that our faith can produce. We need to prepare our hearts. We need to prepare the soil. Because look what happens if we do. Another seed of the same kind fell into good, well-adapted soil and brought forth grain. Growing up, and increasing and yielding up to 30 times as much and 60 times as much and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And he said, he who has an ear, let him hear and consider and comprehend. Notice you can hear, and you can hear. There's a lot of people that hear, but they don't hear. We need to hear, but, but notice what's involved in that hearing. To consider. To consider means you have to think it over. You have to dwell on it. Consider and comprehend. You know, I know of people that have been even born again for decades. Not years, decades. But they don't comprehend. And it's because the seed has remained so shallow. They don't allow it to get deep into their heart. They don't, they don't consider it. They don't meditate on it. They don't think on it. I don't know about you, I want a bountiful harvest. And for, that, for there to be that harvest, I've got to see to it that, that that seed is going to grow, that that seed is going to mature. I don't want the enemy and the circumstances of this life to come along and just simply snatch that word out of me and, and tell me what I'm going to think rather than allow the word of God to determine what I'm going to think. Many times that's what's, that's what's happened. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to snap the, snatch that word out of your life before it ever has an opportunity to take root. We need to think on that word and meditate and dwell on that word. And so what Jesus does then, he talks about this, this gives us this parable. And... <clears throat> The disciples, they don't understand it. Now, we live in here in Iowa. We ought to be able to understand this principle. Because the majority of you, whether we grew up on a farm or not, the majority of us are familiar with the practices of a farmer and why a farmer does what a farmer does. And so this principle that he's talking about ought to be very clear to us. But if we don't sit back and if we don't consider it, if we don't think about it, if we don't meditate on it, it's never going to have an opportunity to really get deep on the inside of us. And Jesus said that if we don't understand this, we're not going to understand anything that he's trying to bring about into our lives. And that's why oftentimes Christians live a shallow life 
in comparison to what God wants them to live. Because they don't understand this principle. They've not dwelled on it. They've not considered it. They've not taken the simplicity of it and allowed it to, to speak to our hearts. But let's see what Jesus has to say. In Mark, the fourth chapter, the 11th verse, I'm going to skip here a few verses as we go along here. In verse 11, he, Jesus, said to them, To you it has been entrusted the mystery of the kingdom of God, that is, the secret counsels of God, which are hidden from the ungodly, but for those outside of the, the circle, everything becomes a parable. And so he's saying to his disciples, I want you to understand this. This is, this is hid from others. They, they don't see this. Some of these principles, we try to share them with the people of the world and they just think you're, you're nuts. You share with them, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. Shall men give unto your bosoms? That you can have more by giving than by keeping it all for yourself? And the world says, you're nuts. You're wacko. You're missing a cog. Because they don't understand it. It's a mystery. But the mystery has been revealed to you and I. But you know what? Even within the church, if we don't, if we don't understand this principle, it's still going to be a mystery to us. And for so many people, it's still a mystery. Because they don't understand this principle of sowing and reaping. They don't understand that if you don't sow a seed, there can't be a harvest. But because we sow seed, and because we prepared the ground, there's a harvest. You know, I remember when I, when I first got saved, people would say concerning giving and so forth, well, you just need to give. Doesn't matter where you give, you just need to give. Well then, what about this principle? What about good ground? What about soil that is fertile and soil that is going to produce a bountiful harvest? And so a lot of people are just scattering seed. But they're not sowing seed so that it can be planted and produce a bountiful harvest. The mystery. The Bible talks about the mystery. It's a whole other message. But when we think of a mystery, we think of something that's hidden. And we think of it as something that's hidden from us. But the mystery of the kingdom, they were not hidden from us, they were hidden for us. For this dispensation, for this time period that we're in right now. And that's why it's been revealed to the church what Jesus is talking about here. Because it's this mystery of sowing and reaping that we can produce and experience an abundant harvest in our life if we'll practice the principles he's given us. Verse 14. The sower sows the word. And so it tells us what Jesus is referring to in this parable. The one among the path, along the path, are those who have the word sown into their hearts. But when they hear Satan comes at once, by force, takes away the message which was sown in them. One of the ways that he does that, we talked about it last week, about unbelief. Well, that can't possibly work. That may work for everybody else, but it's not going to work for you. You know, the interesting thing about a law is the law works all the time for every individual. And this principle of giving and receiving is a law. It's a principle that God's given us. And if we will apply it properly, it will produce in our lives. Verse 16. And in the same way, 
the one sown, speaking of the word, sown upon stony ground are those who, when they hear the word of God, at once receive and accept and welcome it with joy. And they have no real root in themselves. And when they endure for a little while, then when trouble and persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately are offended, become displeased, indignant, resentful, and they stumble and they fall away. You know, the thing about this race that we're in, known as the Christian life, it's not enough to start. We need to finish. And you know what, anybody that's been involved in any kind of athletics, whether it be football, whether it be running, whatever it may be, or, or just any kind of game or competition, life in general, there are difficulties that come our way. But what do we have to do? We have to, we have to persevere. We have to continue, even when things look like they're going to be impossible. But I've heard it from so many times from different individuals. Well, that Christian thing just didn't work for me. Well, if it didn't work, it's because you quit. If it didn't work, it's because you didn't follow through. Because it works. It works. How do you know it works? Because it works for me. And if it works for me, it means it works for everybody. It's his plan for our lives to be victorious in every area. But see, we've got to be solid in the things of God. We've, we've got to be so determined in the things of God that no matter what comes our way, Jesus is going to continue to be number one. And the ones sown among the thorns are others who hear the word. Notice all of them heard the word. All of them. Every one of them heard the word. But what did they do with the word? And so it says the ones sown on the thorns are others who heard, who hear, hear the word. And the cares and anxieties of the world, the destructions or distractions of the age, the pleasure and delight and false glamour and deceitfulness of riches, and the cravings and passionate desires for other things creep in and choke and suffocate the word and it becomes unfruitful. There are so many voices out there. This world that we live in is so loud. There are so many things constantly trying to come against us and, and get our attention and draw us away ultimately from the things of God. You have to make a choice. You have to choose the things of God. You have to choose that I'm not going to allow anything to draw me away, to pull me away from the truth and the reality of the Word of God. Because the voices are going to be there. They are not going to go away. They are going to remain. But you know what? Through the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, through the blood of Jesus, we have everything that is needful, that is necessary for us to be able to follow through to the very end. But we need to determine that we're going to follow through. Verse 20. And those that are sown on good, well-adapted soil, are the ones who hear the word and receive and accept and welcome it and bear fruit some 30 times as much. That sounds like a pretty good harvest. But it doesn't stop there. Some 60 times as much. 
and some even a hundred times as much. Verse 23, if any man has ears to hear, let him be listening and perceive and comprehend. Do you know you have to choose to listen? Amen. My wife informs me of that of all, all the time. You're not listening. Amen. And all the guys say, Amen, I identify with that. But you know what? We practice the same thing with the Word of God. Somebody begins to preach and our, our mind goes, Woo! Oh, I guess I'm really hungry. Let's see. Peony's closed. <laughs> Mexican, well, six Sundays in a row. <laughs> Let's see. I mean, yeah, deep thought, important things. This draws us away. Amen. We have to, we have to decide to listen. Amen. Yeah. And all the women said, Amen to that one. Because, well, I won't go there. Get in certain boxes, and those boxes are soundproof. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Cheese sandwich. We must constantly choose to meditate. It's all right to have fun in church. Amen. I'll guarantee you one thing. If we have a cheese sandwich, it'll be warm and it'll be good. And I'm not preaching now either. I'm telling the truth. And it'd go really good with that soup we had yesterday. Yeah. Hallelujah. See how easy it is? Huh? Huh? Now everybody's mouth is salivating and drooling on the pews, and we're going to have to have them washed. So. We have to choose. We have to decide what we're going to dwell on, what we're going to think on. 1 John 4, 17, it says, Love has been perfected among us in this. That we, have made, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in the world. How does this fit in there? That's what's supposed to be produced in our life. There's to be no fear of judgment because we have total confidence in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior because of what he's done for us. But you know what? To me... This is basic for us as believers. But you know what? There are a lot of Christians that do not have even confidence in this area. They fear the day of judgment. Because what if this, that, or the other thing? What if you believed that what Jesus said he did for you, he actually did for you? What if you believed that when Jesus shed his blood for you for the remission, remission of your sins, that your sins were actually remitted. Because if you believe that, then there is no fear of judgment because you know that you are in right standing with God. But you know what? <clears throat> if, if, if God is just an afterthought in our life, then we're not going to have that kind of peace. And so that little verse that I just read is so important in each and every one of our lives if we're going to live a life of peace and joy and comfort knowing that I have harmony with God. Love has been perfected among us. Notice it doesn't say that love is perfected in you. 
Because I probably don't have to follow you around very long and find out that it hasn't. Amen. But it's been perfected in Christ Jesus. The perfect one. The perfect love. has been manifest in our lives. And as we yield to him, that perfection comes to the forefront because of him who is in us. In James 1, 22, for change to happen in our lives, we must be realistic about the process. Well, you know, I've been confessing the word for a whole day now. And I just don't sense that anything has happened. Well, you've learned a lot. You learned how impatient you are. Because the Bible says we're to meditate on the word day and night. But, but notice in James 1.22, it says, But obey the message. It's not talking about what we talk about as the message Bible. It's talking about the message that's been brought to us through the completed works of Jesus. And he says, obey the message. Be doers of the word and not merely listeners to it. Be train yourself into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. You know, so it isn't just hearing something, it's actually, it's actually putting it into practice in our life. Don't be hearers only, be doers of the word. For if anyone only listenings, listens to the word without obeying it and being a doer of it, he's like the man who looks carefully at his own natural face in the mirror. For he thought <clears throat> he thoughtfully observes himself, then goes off and promptly forgets what he is like. But he who looks carefully into the faultless law, the law of liberty, and is faithful to it, and proceeds, uh, persists. Uh, in looking into it, being, <clears throat> being not a heedless listener who forgets, but an active doer who obeys, he shall be blessed in his doing, in his life of obedience. But, <clears throat> well, Pastor, you're just saying we, we just got to get ourselves on the law of liberty. That means when we look into the Word of God, we allow it to get down into our spirit. That Word brings about change in our life. You know, I've often said, <clears throat> it's easy to change when you want to. And so what God wants to do is change you want to. But how we approach the Word of God is how I approach losing weight. I want to. As long as I don't have to do anything. I want to. And so why? I want to. Why doesn't, why doesn't everything change? Because I haven't put it into practice. Well, why haven't you put it into practice? Because I really don't want to. I don't want to because of what it'll cost me. Well, Pastor Dave, what'll it cost you? Chips. Cookies. 
ice cream. The list just goes on and on and on and on. But if I really wanted to, I would. I remember one year, I decided I, wasn't, I was going to quit drinking coffee because there was no, no real benefit to coffee. And so I quit drinking coffee. I drank it. I did not drink coffee through January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. But then in January, I was still on the board at Pastor Dave Toyne's church up in Clear Lake, Iowa. And they had their Christmas party. And so we went to their Christmas party. And they had chocolate cake. How do you not, how do you eat chocolate cake without a cup of coffee? So I thought, nah, one cup won't hurt me. But the cake wasn't gone. So I had another cup. The rest is history. You see, when I wanted to, I could. But the deceitfulness of chocolate cake <laughs> led me astray. It overcame my want to. It became a greater desire than not drink coffee. That's how it works, folks. That's how it works in our life. Every moment of every day, what choices are we going to make? I need to close. Here are the characteristics of change. Change happens slowly, not overnight. We must focus on on consistency, not speed. Number two, change does not occur in regular ways. It begins slowly, but can move quickly when we embrace it. Number three, it requires intellectual information. Sometimes, we have to inform, educate, and enlighten. Number, that was number three, right? Yeah. Number four, it also requires taking a risk, making a decision. Sometimes the decisions we was, must make are difficult. Number five, It has generational aspects. Teaching what others have endured as perspective and makes it easier for the next generation to come behind us. Number six, stories also motivate change. It's important that we share them. Number seven, Change is based on the study of Scripture, which teaches us that we can be changed. Number eight, to reach a place of action, people need time to make the transaction from the head to the heart. Number nine, Change is aided by surrounding ourselves with positive influences. People that think the same. And then number 10. It's not based on demand, but on God's word. We cannot demand that others change. We can simply be changed ourselves. Ten steps to change.
when we put those things into practice. God wants to move in our life. And it's not like he wants it to be difficult. He wants us to be transformed. And once again, transformed implies that there's a process that's involved. We want it to just happen. It isn't an event. It's a lifestyle of change. So Father, we thank you this morning that we were able to gather in the marvelous name of Jesus that, that you want change in our life, but not change for the sake of change. You want change in our lives so that we might live vic more victorious, that our testimony might be appealing to this world that we live in. That, we, that people can see that Jesus and Christianity is more than just a theory. It's a life. It's a life of abundance. It's a life of victory. It's a life in which we overcome. And so, Father, we bless you today and thank you. Work change in each of our lives. Lead us by your precious Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. And so as we go, go in his peace, go in his strength, go in his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. Have a blessed week.